0: good morning good morning good morning i want to welcome all of you uh men to our uh, ironman coffee um obviously we're meeting virtually and uh we're so grateful to uh to be able to do so um welcome to uh, any men that are on the call this morning um that are first timers um if, if it is your first time um there's a there's a function where you're able to kind of raise your hand I don't know if you guys could see that if it's your first time um i'd i'd love to be able to see that and recognize you i i see uh william wadsworth welcome uh welcome to our iron coffee uh any other first timers out there if you could just slip your hand up Uh, virtually, I'd love to say good morning to you and welcome you onto the call. Um, Let's see, I see another hand went up. Uh, Carlo Cortez, welcome. So glad to have you uh, on the call with us this morning. Guys, so this is our Ironman Coffee. We do this once a month. The last Friday of every month we meet for what we call Ironman Coffee. And we're very privileged uh, every month to have... An amazing uh, special guest speaker. Um, I think that you're really going to be encouraged and blessed by our guest speaker this morning. Every other week of the month, uh, we meet for what we refer to as our Ironman Connect meeting. A little bit of a different format. We've still been meeting virtually. Um, on that format, it involves awesome breakouts and table discussions this morning, uh, really the whole morning, we're just going to give the floor to our guest speaker and we're just going to be blessed, uh, by what he has to say next week though. Um, I'm really excited to be in the studio with our teaching fellow next week for our Ironman connect meeting. Um, our very own Jack Levine is going to be in the studio with me, uh, Uh, opening up uh, next month's topic on responsibility. And I'm really excited to have him here in the Ironman studio with me. And then come December, men, we will be meeting back in person. So I know that all of us, uh, well, I'm sure most of us are are really anxious to get back uh, together in person and and we'll give more details um, as we get a little bit closer to December but we're ramping up to, uh, to really looking forward to, to being back together in person um, at Four Rivers um, come, uh, come the first Friday of December. Uh, before I, I bring up um, who's going to intro this morning's speaker, we have an awesome event. Every year, Ironman partners with BME, uh, the, the Better Man event. Uh, every year um, Ironman partners with them and we show up to that event uh, in, in large numbers. This year, um, it is next Saturday, November 7th and they are doing what mostly everyone's doing. They are, they, their event has gone virtual. Um, and uh, let me show you guys a, a little uh, promo video here uh, real quick for next Saturday's event, just to get you guys excited. And then I'm gonna encourage you guys um, to uh, to participate.
1: This year, join us live November 7th. We're bringing the Better Man event right into your home. Featuring special guests, Lecrae, Mariano Rivera, Daryl Strawberry, Sammy Rodriguez, and Johnny W experience what it truly means to be a better man. Register online at bettermanevent.com.
0: Guys, so they've really put together something uh, pretty cool and special. Um, From what I understand, um, the way that they're encouraging men to do this is to to have uh, some guys uh, uh, agree to be a host. And I believe it's $10 uh, to hook up to the live stream at your home. Um, And at that point, the the idea is to um, put a group of guys together to participate and tune in um, on that live stream together. So uh, I encourage you guys, if you want more information, bettermanevent.com. Bettermanevent.com. That is where you can sign up, register. Uh, table captains, maybe a really cool thing. Reach out to the guys at your table. Uh, uh, host at your home. Um, host that time at your house. They've really put together something cool and special. Um, Jesse Stanley, are you out there? Um, I believe uh, I believe uh, Jesse Stanley, who's going to be introing uh, this morning's speaker, is uh, hanging out with uh, Dave Ogden and uh, and the table over there. Hey Jesse, I can see you.
1: Good morning, Ryan. <laughs> How you are you doing, doing all coming, right? Buddy? Good, yeah, good, good to see you. I'm I'm excited for you to uh
0: to get to intro uh our speaker this morning and then uh if you could, I'd love if you could open us up in prayer as well after uh after uh after you pull Jeff up. <laughs>
1: You can go, okay, all right. All right, we're good to go. Hey, I'm laughing because Dave Oden moved over, and I get to actually sit and see the power here at the uh, <laughs> Ironman of God First Responders group. So, hey, Ryan, thank you so much for inviting me to uh, introduce Jeff. Uh, Jeff, I've known for about 10 years. Jeff, um, uh, he was introduced to me by a mutual friend of ours named Dave. I started my business and, and Dave said, Man, you've got to meet this Jeff guy. So uh, I went out to Orlando where Jeff's office was and, and we had lunch and we spent about two hours together the first time we met. And uh, and I'm just gonna be very blunt, very transparent, Jeff. I don't say you, I don't think surprise you. When I first met Jeff, he was, you know, very friendly, very gregarious. Um, you know, he acts like he's known you for his whole life and and uh, I'll just be blunt. I don't trust that typically. You know? <laughs> so, so, um, but you know, he was an okay guy. Um, and by the end of lunch, though, um, I was actually kind of pissed at Jeff because he made me cry. And and he made me cry. He could make me cry in a number of ways because he's pretty, a pretty bad dude. But um, he didn't do that. He actually shared his life with me. And he shared his sin struggles. Um, at the time, he was in a point, and I don't want to ruin his story, I don't want to take anything from it, but he was at a point in his marriage um, where he and his wife had been struggling and they were on an upswing. Uh, they were part of a group, an association. He was actually a leader for that association uh, that helped recover marriages and um, they had recovered nicely. And, you know, he's talking to me and he's telling me about some of his struggles, and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, me too. And then he's telling me about you know struggles in his marriage and i'm like yeah man me too that's 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 rough and then he's telling me about the recovery and i'm thinking i hope that's me too um and and truly his he was so sincere and and what he shared was so powerful um this dude had me crying at some stupid restaurant in downtown orlando um and i'm sitting there acting like it's my contacts except i forgot i had glasses on so um <laughs> So, so that gives you an idea of Jeff and, and Jeff and I have spent a lot of time together over the last 10 years. I have been, I've been to uh, New York City with Jeff and guess what? When you go to New York City with Jeff, you know someone. And I've been to Miami with Jeff and when you go to Miami with Jeff, you know someone there too. And I've been to uh, San Jose or Monterey, California with Jeff and Las Vegas with Jeff and Atlanta with Jeff. And anywhere you go, Jeff Cornoy knows someone. Um, and so remember how I told you he's that gregarious guy and that's kind of untrusting Well, these people all love him and they love him for a good reason, because I've seen him as a friend. I've, I've seen him at work. I've seen him lead his team. Um, I've seen him when stuck at the fan and, uh, just the real deal. And he's the real deal, not because he's perfect. He's the real deal for two reasons. One, uh, because you see um, who you see during stress and who you see during fun, it's the same, Jeff. And uh, the other reason is because we have a cool beard. Um, in fact, my boys uh, always, you know, they, now that was <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Andy Jones just walked in, everyone. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. For that enter that sometime? Right uh, uh, my boys always, always uh, initially they would ask me if I could be cool like Jeff, and they gave up about a year ago asking if I could be cool like Jeff, but um, Jeff's a Jeff's a pretty cool dude. Actually, Ryan, when you called me last night, I didn't shake this morning, so I was trying <clears> to grow it out real quick just so I could hear Jeff. Um, I, all right. Now, now, a serious note, what you're going to hear is Jeff is an entrepreneur. Uh, Jeff is, again, a, a good man and a friend of many people, um, but my prayer this morning, I'll pray for it specifically, is that what you hear is that Jeff is a follower of Christ um, uh, has not been perfect in any way, form, and uh, that's part of part of how God uses Jeff. So, with that, that's your introduction, Jeff, brother. Um, oh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one more thing. Jeff's a good enough friend that when I texted him last week at six thirty in the morning because my days were screwed up, I thought that he was sleeping last week. So six thirty when I texted him, I came him said, "Jeff, you're well." That would freak me out if I got that text because I'd be like, am I missing something? Was I supposed to be on? Uh, And Jeff was giving, So that's the kind of friend that he is. Um, So with that, uh, Ironman, I would ask that you uh, bow your head or do what you do when we pray. And let's uh, pray for Jeff for a few minutes. Father God, uh, Father, we thank you that you've given us this morning. You've given us one more day on this earth. Hopefully many more, but you've given us this one. I uh, just pray they would um, just open our hearts and know that uh, this is the day that you've made. This is a day that uh, we have the ability uh, to do things, to do good things, to impact people. And we thank you for that. Lord, as uh, my friend Jeff uh, comes in here, uh, you know, on one hand, we're, we're kind of sad that we're all not in person. But on the other hand, uh, we're just so thankful that we're not in seclusion. And um, So as he speaks to us, uh, Father, I just pray that you would um, uh, put your words in his mouth, that you would um, open up ears and hearts uh, to listen and to learn. Um, I pray that you would um, just use Jeff today again, as you have many times, use him in a mighty way, uh, just to speak to men, to share your word, to share your glory, uh, to show men that uh, um, they don't have to be perfect, to show men that they can they can lean on you and that uh, you'll be glorified and, and good things will happen for them. Um, so, Lord, as uh, Jeff comes on stage here, um, again, just pray for your wind behind him. Pray for your breath in him. And I thank you for his friendship for 10 years, and I hope there's at least another 10 more. We love you, Father, in the name of Jesus. We pray these things. Amen. Yeah. Amen.
2: Can everybody hear me okay? Can you, uh, Ryan, can you let me know if we're good? Jeff,
0: you, you look and sound great.
2: <laughs> First of all, Dave Ogden, I love you. No, I mean, Jesse, I love you. Thank you so much, brother. I am humbled. Um, you are my brothers in blood, and I love you dearly. Thank you so much uh, for having me here. Guys, I am so excited to be with you. This is a little bit odd. Uh, welcome to my living room. Um, but before you think what kind of fruitcake patriotic nut job has a huge American flag other than Dave Ogden behind his sofa, it's not normally there. But I think you'll agree when we talk for a little bit today that it's the perfect backdrop for where we're at in life for this time, a time such as this. And uh, before we get started, I'd like to just take an aside, just a couple of minutes to talk about where we are at in life in the coming weeks, and the coming months. Uh, first of all, this is my COVID beard. Uh, I figured that if the work doesn't come here in the next few months, I can be Santa at the mall and I can dual role perhaps. That'll be my strategy to be security and Santa at the mall. Um, so, whatever it takes. But I want to talk to you just a minute. I'm not going to get political because what I do know, I will talk to you about the things I know. And that is that if there are 50, 60 guys represented uh, on this call or anywhere else, then you've got 50 or 60 strong opinions. You've got everything from the far right to the far left and everything in between represented here. And what I want to remind you guys as we go into the coming weeks is that by worldly standards in the coming weeks, there will be winners and losers, right? Somebody on this call will be disappointed Holy and other people will be elated. Here's what I do know is that the world doesn't like gloating winners and they don't like sore losers. So I encourage you two things as you go into the coming weeks. Remember this, that first and foremost, above all the details, you're an American. And your neighbor, although you may have opposing political signs right across the street, your neighbor's an American. And so our democracy has thrived because men like ourselves have reached across the aisle, have have literally Set aside our differences or at least engage them respectfully. The second thing I want you to remember is that if you're on this call, you're a Christian American, so you're held to an even higher standard. And I don't think God's really interested, frankly, in how well you control your surroundings. I think He laughs at our attempt as men to try to control our surroundings. And I'm learning, I'm a slow learner, you'll find that later in this talk, but I'm learning that. I think he's more interested in what kind of Christ-like approach you will take to dealing with the things that are absolutely out of your control. And I guarantee you in the coming weeks and months, there will be things that feel like they are absolutely out of your control. And I just want to remind you that he is still in control. Nothing's lost. Nothing's missed. No mistakes are made. It is what it is. And we'll walk through it but there's no better time than this for guys like you and me to reach out to others. I had the opportunity, Jesse mentioned years ago to be the uh, chairman of the board of the National Institute of Marriage in Branson, Missouri. And during that period of time, we were serving about 200 couples a year. And the board met and, and, and frankly, statistically, if there's this many guys on a call, somebody here is having marriage challenges. It's gonna happen. It just is. If you do, the National Institutes of Marriage in Branson, Missouri is the place for you. We had about an 83% recovery rate at that time for people who were going there with divorce papers in hand and came home to success stories over and over again. And during that period of time, we decided that not all ministries need to grow for the sake of growing, but we had good medicine and we needed to get it out to a larger audience. And our goal was to reach 10,000 people in 10 years. And we knew we couldn't do that alone. So I was tasked, the guy who's got a half a year of college, literally, and I have like the dummies version of Robert's Rules of Orders, but I'm chairing this board, and I was tasked with going around the country to meet with Campus Crusade here in Orlando and other international and national ministries to talk about buying the National Institute of Marriage and moving it forward. And I had the opportunity during that time to meet a guy named Jim Daly. And Jim is with Focus on the Family in Colorado Springs. He had just taken over as the CEO not long before we met. And as soon as we met, like Jesse said, I fell in love, man, with Jim in a, in a, in a very godly way. He's so transparent. But I'll never forget what Jim told me. He said, Jeff, the first meeting I asked to have when I came here as the CEO was to meet with a guy that was leading the pro-choice movement in America. Pro-choice. I mean, you got to know, Jeff, he said, that as the leader of the largest ministry in the United States, I am the antithesis of that in pro-life. He said, but I was surprised more than anything by the pushback that I got from my own team, the Christians on my senior executive level who said, Jim, you can't meet with him. How would it look? It might look like you're getting soft on pro-choice. And he said, just set up the meeting. And so we did that. He said, in the first 15 minutes, we agreed that in this hour that we had blocked, I will not try to convince you to be pro-life and you won't try to convince me to be pro-choice. Once that agreement was made, I said, and I had thought about this, he said, is there something above the decision point that we disagree on, that we could agree on? He said, for instance, do we agree that it's tragic that young men and women are getting pregnant and having to make a decision that will change the trajectory of their entire lives. And he said, we both nodded yes, we agreed. He said, Jeff, we spent the next 45 minutes, two men on the equal opposites of what is arguably one of the most destructive topics in American history. He said, and we decided how to pool our resources, our money, our funds, our staff, our objectives to educate young men and women on how not to get pregnant. And thereby they never have to make the decision that we disagree with. Guys, we calculated that we think we've saved over tens of thousands of lives by having that type of conversation. So as we go into the message today, I just want to remind you that it's going to take men like you, like, like myself, to just calm our souls, know that the Lord is in charge, and we know how this ends. Let's pray, if you will. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God, and I am so excited to be with these men. I'm so humble because I know many of them. And for those that I don't know, I know their character already because I know the character of the men they surround themselves with. And I know there are warriors for you, Lord. And I always love being around warriors. I just love it. It fuels my soul. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the day in advance. Thank you for each of these men and the families they represent and the impact they represent. In this world. In Christ's name, amen. Guys, thank you again. And I I just, I can't tell you how excited I am to be here. Literally, I'm not exaggerating when I say this is the one hour that I've been looking forward to for over a year. When David Hill asked me to come and speak to this group, I knew you guys. I've been watching you. Now I travel about 20 days a month, so I haven't been able to engage as much as I'd like. But I've been watching you and I've heard amazing things over time. So right after he asked me and I excitedly accepted the invitation, I got a little bit of dread because I thought, Oh my God, what David is really asking me to do is to boil down my life, if you will, and say, Jeff, give me one moment, one nugget, one spiritual truth, one strategy that would be worthy of 60 some odd guys taking an hour out of their very important lives to listen to you. I take time in my business and I take it seriously. And and so I I take that seriously and I couldn't boil it down to a moment, but I did boil it down to a lifetime because that's what it's taken for me. I told you I'm a slow learner. Uh, So as Jesse mentioned, I've got the coolest job in the world. Let me talk about that for just a second and then I'll move on. I literally get to do things that most guys, especially sports guys would love. I've gone to the Super Bowl for the last seven years. I've been on the field. Like I get to go to the Grammy Awards and the Olympics. And as Jesse mentioned, I mean, the list goes on and on. We get to move high net worth travelers, athletes, entertainers, celebrities all over the world in challenging environments. I have the funnest job in the world. Now, I say that we're in the high fun, low-margin business. I'm not going to die a gazillionaire, and that's okay. I'm at a point in my life where I love the fun but it wasn't always that way and I want to paint a picture for you and if we were together it'd be easy because the picture happens to be on my arm I'm not really a tattoo guy you'll laugh because I have a full sleeve tattoo but I'm 55 years old and I got my first tattoo at about 52 because I felt like the Lord was leading me to put my story on my arm for two reasons one because he knew that I needed to wake up every morning and be reminded of it because I easily forget But for the other reason was that he knew that a lot of the guys that work for me are former military or law enforcement, they're they're tattooed up, they're young. Uh, My dad would say they've got a lot of airspeed and no direction. And I thought if I could put my story on my arm in an innocuous way that might create a conversation, perhaps I'd be able to engage them and teach them some things that I had to learn the hard way. And it's been an amazing journey. So let me tell you a little bit about it. If you could see my wrist just the first three or four inches from your perspective you would think that you were looking at maybe the ribs of the the chest plate of a picture that's just above it it's a it's a kind of a woman's face a a mysterious face if you will it takes up most of my forearm but actually those aren't ribs they're designed in a way so that when i look at them from this angle when i look at them from here i'm looking at 11 church pews and an upside down cross it's actually an upside down cathedral that I'm staring at. So every day I look and I'm reminded of my faith. And up until I was 11 years old, hence the 11 pews, I was a young Christian kid. And at 11 years old, some things happened that changed the trajectory of my life. My dad got stationed from, he was in the Air Force, and he got stationed from Illinois to Thailand, and he'd be there for a year, and I wouldn't get to see him. We got moved from my church home, my friends, my family, my school, to Eglin Air Force Base in Florida, and some things that I won't share here, but I'll share with you easily if we get in person, happened around abuse and other things that, that literally just turned me off to Christ. And I spent the next 20 years running from him, doing anything and everything to deny him in every way possible. But I was a young entrepreneur. I always was pretty good at what I did. And I was always this learner, self-help guy, if you will. So the tattoo continues. It is that face that I talked about. And just as an aside, I'm, I just want to say I'm kind of glad we're not in person because if you see I'm favoring this right arm, it's because on Wednesday I had shoulder surgery. It's all stitched up and I've had it in a sling. And so, Dr. Mirabello, if you happen to be on this call, I promise it will go back in the sling when I'm done, but I thought that would look like hokey. Uh, so it is what it is, but, but up here over the face, right, is, a, is an eye right here in the center of my arm. But before that, that face represents 20 years of addiction, chasing things, girls, drugs, cars, guns, everything I could think of. That was my life. And that represented those 20 years. I found myself at 32 years old sitting on a yacht in Monte Carlo. Picture this, 157-foot yacht. We're there for the Formula One race. We've partied the night before. My boss, who is in his 70s, is sleeping in. And I finally get a little private time, so I'm sitting up on the deck of the boat as the sun's coming up over Monte Carlo. And I've always been a journaler. Uh, I don't know if I have it here, but I still have, I've got a safe full of journals. And that particular journal that I was reading that morning, if I look at it today, it had pictures in it. Pictures of those things I described. I had pictures of girls, frankly. I had pictures of a Ferrari spider that I wanted. I had pictures of helicopters and Gulfstream jets and yachts. And I even had a picture of planet earth from the view of the moon. It was my way of saying, I want it all. But as I sat there that morning, again, at 32, no one had witnessed to me for over 20 years. I sat there and I began to look around and I looked at my journal and I looked at the yacht that I was sitting on and and I began to realize that it's not adding up. I know this guy, he's miserable, he's not happy. He's trying to fill up some void in his heart with all this stuff, but it's not working. This is leading to destruction. And I knew something had to change. I told you, I've always been a reader. And, and at that time, as long as it wasn't Christian, I would read anything. Anthony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, all these deep thinkers. And I picked up a book I had thrown in my bag. And that morning on the deck as I looked around, I, I actually learned, I keep a copy right here, a matter of fact, on my coffee table. It's The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. This is one of the original copies. I got to tell you, if I didn't know Norman Vincent Peale was a pastor, I would have never picked up this book. I was duped. I was duped into the kingdom by the Lord, right? He knew this moment would come. He was in control. So I picked up this book and I began to read it. I remember thinking, it's a a little preachy, but it kept me in. It got me thinking. And as I looked at my surroundings, I knew beyond knowing that something had to change. I came back to the US eight days later and I quit my job. I literally quit. I had nothing to fall back on. I moved from Miami, Florida to Orlando and I literally moved into a trailer in Kissimmee to a buddy of mine's trailer and slept on a, in a sleeping bag on his floor for eight months while I waited tables at the Rainforest Cafe in the Disney Village Marketplace, trying to set up another business, trying to get something going, but I knew something happened, had to change. And I re accepted the Lord into my life and began doing some work during that period of time. I met a counselor up in Altamont Springs and I would travel up to Altamont one time a week, but I was there. I wanted him to think that I was this super successful Uber entrepreneur. So I would put on my one suit that I had, and I had a little blue pickup truck and I would drive to his office and I would park two blocks away and I would walk over there because I wanted to deal with my personal issues but I wanted him to think I was successful. And like your brain surgeon or your accountant, lying to them doesn't make much sense. They figure it out pretty soon. He apparently had figured it out. And after six months, I remember the day he sat me down. He's like, hey Jeff, tell me what it is you do. And I thought, well, that's different. We're not gonna talk about family issues, mother issues, abuse issues. Okay, and he pushed my ego button. And I have an ego. And he said, Jeff, Tell me what it is you do. I love sports. Tell me. And like he was fishing, he set the hook, and he began to reel me in, and I began to tell him. And, guys, this is kind of what I said. I said, oh, what I do, you wouldn't believe what I get to do. I've got the best job in the world. Literally, I was at the Brickyard 400. I was in Indianapolis for the NASCAR race just this past week, and at that time, Jeremy Mayfield had just reached the pinnacle of his career. He had won that race. And so I told him, I said, at the end of the race, the drivers are all rushing to get to me. I'm kind of the go-to guy, if you will. I've got helicopters waiting to get them out to their airplanes. I've got golf carts waiting. I've got police escorts waiting. And and people are clamoring at the fence for autographs. It's exciting. And he was like, oh my God, tell me more. And I said, for instance, so Jeremy Mayfield comes rushing out to me. A lady is clamoring at the fence. So I'm in a unique position. I go over and I I get a hat and I bring it back and I have Jeremy sign it. I, I give it to her and And just like that, he's on his golf cart, he's heading to his helicopter and he's off and gone. And this counselor, he looked at me and he said, I get it, I finally understand what it is you do. I was like, yeah, right, it's cool, huh? He said, you are Jeremy Mayfield's pin carrier. That's exactly how I responded because that hit me like a brick. And I said, please say that again. He said, you are Jeremy Mayfield's pin carrier, Guys, I got to tell you that had he said that in day one, I'd have probably choked him out right there. But he had built a trust with me and he knew what he was doing. And I said, hey, man, I trust you. Please explain that because that really hurts. He said, Jeff, what I hear you describing is what I would call your whatness. What you do. And it is exciting. You've got the coolest job in the world. He said, but I want to send you on a journey. It starts with a challenge. Guys, this is my challenge for you today. He said, Jeff, I want you to pursue your wholeness, who God created you to be. And we'll start with an exercise. He said, Jeff, I want you to take your journal and set aside. I still have that journal and I refer to it often. He said, ask yourself the questions of who God created you to be. Questions like, write them down. They're like your whatness goals, but they're who goals, if you will. And my who goals would include things like, I wanna be transparent. I wanna be a Christian man. I wanna be, I didn't have a wife at the time. I wanna be a good husband. I wanna be a good father to my future kids at that time. I wanna be a good friend. I wanna be dependable. I wanna be loyal. I wanna be a student my entire life and learn. But I also wanna be a mentor and I wanna teach. And I just made the list and the list goes on and on. And some things I was already there. Some things I'm continually working on. Other things I'm not even close. But what it becomes is a compass through which you will make all the decisions towards your wetness. So think about that. Because life will challenge you. And I can tell you over 25 years owning this company, the biggest failures, the biggest losses, multi-million dollar decisions that have cost me. Are because I made poor choices and I compromised my whunus for my whatness. I made decisions that in the moment I thought, there it is. There's the goal. I can get this contract. I can finally buy that house. I'll make more money than I ever thought I could. I worked so hard for it. I deserve it. I begin to justify it. And then I looked at my whunus and I said, but it just takes a little compromise. Like I just gotta tell this lie. And when I made that decision outside of my hooness, it eventually cost me more than I would have ever made. So I want to encourage you to write down your hooness, get close to it, and then begin to live it out. It'll take time. The rest of my my tattoo up here for the next ten years, from 32 to about 44, somewhere in there, I became this what I would call an oversaved guy. Right, you know him. It's the guy that even Christians don't want to be around. I mean, non-Christians won't even get close because you're just trying to shove religion down everybody's throat. You're trying to save the world and sprinkle them all with holy water. And I mean, I was that guy. I I was so legalistic. I literally, for 10 years, for six of those years, I didn't have a TV in my house, my poor kids, right? And, And that's probably not a bad thing, but I mean, it was to an extreme. And for me, that probably had to happen because the pendulum had to swing for me from this really bad, bad guy to this really good, good guy. But if you knew me over that period of time, you didn't really know me because I had traded the prison of sin, for the prison of legalism. And I was living in that prison. And so I began the journey, right? I began to to look into the whoness and to try to figure out exactly what it meant, who God created me to be. And if you see my tattoo now, if I could show it to you up here, and maybe someday in person I will, it's a hardened warrior. It's literally a face similar to mine, but it wasn't intended to be me. He's got scars. He's got a beard. There's a wolf above him. And I have realized I've kind of come into myself and said, I want to embrace a hundred percent of who God created me to be. And what I was doing in both those seasons of my life was only getting a part of the story. You see, what I've realized is that I'm, Still somewhat the bad guy. I'm the sinner. I've got some propensities and weaknesses and challenges that still challenge me to this day, and they probably always will. But I'm also this Christian man, and my faith is dear and close to me, and it means the world, and I'll fight for it, and I'll die for it. This picture inside my arm is a warrior. He's on his knees. He is weakened. He's leaning on his sword. He's got arrows in his back, and that's how I felt after 10 years. I thought, Lord, I'm dying here. trying this next 10 years has been freedom i remember a moment when that freedom came for me you see my brother just retired as a two-star general he was a major general in the air force my dad was a colonel i want to tell you guys that i was never in the military i own a global security and logistics business but i was never in the military so you gotta believe that when i get around a bunch of guys a lot of them represented here on this call that have been in law enforcement or military those are the guys i look up to i don't care about celebrities I love these guys, and I wanted to surround my life with them, but it was also a challenge for me because I remember this one time during this period when I was sitting at a table, and there were about 10 of these guys with me. We were at an event, and somebody walked up, and it was obvious that most of them were from the military, and the person said casually, hey, guys, I want to thank you all for your service, and I remember in that moment thinking it would be really easy just to nod as if I had given my service to the country, but I hadn't. would be easy to be something that I'm not. That's the easy road. But then I felt lesser than for a moment. I felt like, oh, God, Jeff, look, all these guys have done it, and you haven't. And that moment, God spoke to me in a way, and he said, Jeff, look around the table. These men that you see as warriors all are working for you right now. I don't say that to be prideful. I say that because he wanted to point out to me that I had a purpose for you, Jeff. I grew you up in a military home. You understand the vernacular. You understand what it takes. I gave you the opportunity to build a business so that you could provide for men like this, gather them up, and bring out the best in them. I began to embrace myself 100% of who God created me to be. So For the last 10 years or so, I just turned 55, October 15th. For the last 10 years, I basically have said, my new mantra is this, I'm committed to not being any more than 100% of who God created me to be. Not anymore. When somebody asks that question, I'm not gonna say yes. But then I found the other side of that coin. I'm committed to not being any less than who God created me to be, no less. And I'm gonna try to live into that potential. I'm involved in a men's group here in Orlando called Dream Builder. Some of you may have heard of it. And I know Kenan's probably not on this call because they're meeting this morning. So I, I hope he doesn't mind. But, but he has a ver, or, or, or a phrase there he uses. He says, what did God promise the world when he created you? That's a huge statement. It's hard to live into. And he's talking about your dreams. What did God promise the world when he created you? I was thinking about it just this morning, and I said, you know, I'd just like to change that a bit for today and say, who did God promise the world when he created you? I want you to ask yourself that question right at the top of your journal. Before you dig into your whoness, write that statement. Who did God promise the world when he created you? Right? Who did he promise your wife? Who did he promise your kids, who did he promise your friends? Who did he promise your neighbors? Who did he promise himself that you would be when you were born? Guys, live into that potential. I told you in in 2012, I was still then the chairman of the board of the National Institute of Marriage. And a couple of things happened then that solidified this and really began to change that and solidify it for me i have them here i believe Um, so in december of that year i got tough news i I won't say this gentleman was a friend because i had only met him on a couple of occasions but he, he was a friend i just didn't know him intimately and his name was tyson nick he was a special forces operator out of fort bragg and we had brought him down to do some father and son gun training and some cool adventures and But it just so happened that I had met Tyson the month before he was killed in Afghanistan by an IED. And I got news of that and broke my heart, probably because it was so close. And I had been eye to eye with Ty. And And so this is the, this is the program from his funeral. I happened to be up near Fort Bragg when the news broke and I was invited to come and I thought, I'll go pay my respects to this warrior And so I sat there in the audience. I I literally went into this white chapel at Fort Bragg. And unfortunately, it's been overly used in the last 10 years. But at that particular time, I walked in the entire left side of the arena or the arena, the auditorium, if you will, you can tell them in sports. um, The auditorium was, was cordoned off. It was all blocked. All the pews on the left were blocked. And all the pews on the right were family and friends and all the invited guests. And I thought that was a little interesting. But but we all sat on the right and up ahead at the very end was the family. They were seated up front. And then right before the service started, I heard some commotion in the back and I looked back, just trying to be aware and I saw a bunch of white vans pulling up out front and out of these vans came the men that you can imagine. Tyson's warrior buddies. Now these weren't normal warrior buddies. These are guys with beards and dark tans from being in the Middle Eastern heat These guys were tough as nails, and they all filed in quietly with their heads down and respectfully, and they took up all the pews on the left side of the aisle. No one was in uniform. It was a very interesting moment. And then Tyson's dad got up to the podium, and he began to do the eulogy, and he, through tears, I wish I could show you this, and I'll show it to you in person sometime, but on the back of the program, he began to read some of... Tyson Nick's accomplishments, and he said, you know, in Tyson's life, I never knew about these things, his underwater demolition school, and his sniper school, and all the amazing training that he did, and the whatness that he accomplished, he said, I'm just reading it now for the first time, because in many of these cases, I couldn't tell me these things. He was an amazing man, and he was an amazing man. He was a warrior and a patriot. But I got to tell you guys, a moment happened for me that I looked up at his family. They're shown here on the back, the wife and kids that he left behind. It became clear to me that while I'm sure they too were impressed by Tyson's character, his ability and his whatness, that he was a door kicker, and a tough guy. They didn't miss that. What they missed was his who-ness. They missed the warrior that came home from deployment and took them into their little league games. They missed the dad who would take his daughter to ballet practice or sit on the corner of her bed and tell her stories at night. They missed their dad's whoness. It wasn't about his whatness. And just a month later, I was heading to Branson, we were finishing a board meeting and I, I jumped on an AirTran flight and started to leave. And, and as I walked onto the flight, we've all done this, there was a guy in the front seat literally sitting by the aisle and he looked up at me and we made eye contact. He was probably in his eighties. His name was Dan. And I found that out later, but Dan smiled. And when he smiled, he just lit up a room. He was one of those guys that man, you're just attracted to his aura, if you will. And I'm like, hi. And we were kind of jammed up in traffic waiting for people to put their bags up overhead. And I said, how are you? And he said, I'm great. I said, well, how was your weekend? He said, It was amazing. I just went to the most amazing funeral of my life. And that kind of caught me off guard, having just been to Ty's funeral. And the line began to move. And I said, "I'd, I'd love to hear about that. Have an awesome day. He said, I'll tell you about it later. So I took the flight, and we landed in Atlanta. And when we got off in Atlanta, Dan was standing on the jetway there to meet me. He had that same smile. And he said, Jeff, is it? He said, I want to show you this. This is the program from the funeral that he attended. He said, I want to tell you about my friend Gwendolyn. Gwendolyn Ruth Shaw. She's pictured here on the front. And then he went directly to the back. He said, Jeff, look at this list. In over 70 years of ministry, these are all the countries in which Gwendolyn ministered. Guys, there are 126 countries listed here. Cambodia, South Korea, Afghanistan, Uzbekistan. Gwendolyn Shaw is a warrior. Tyson Nick is a warrior. I believe I am a warrior. I don't know what your vocation is. I don't know what God's called you to do in your whatness. I don't care if that's a plumber, a doctor, a teacher. It doesn't matter your whatness. You're exactly where he wants you to be. And you're going to make the impact he wants you to make if you can live in to the full potential of your hooness. That's what I wish for you. I hope that rings true. Guys, I'll wrap up. We're actually meeting, and I don't know how comfortable you are, and I respect whatever that is. But on Monday at 530, close to my home here near Soto, just south of downtown, there's a Gators Dockside. And me and some of the guys are going to get together at 530. And if I haven't met you in person, I want to. I would love to, and I hope we can get together. So feel free to join us, drop in. There will be beer, and there might be bourbon, but I promise the conversation will be appropriate at all times. Well, most times, but you'll make friends. Love you guys, thanks for having me this morning. I'm glad I could join you.
0: Jeff, go uh, go ahead and stay, stay up if, if, if you can for me. Um, yep. Jeff, thank thank you so much. I, I know we got to spend uh, a few minutes uh, together uh, last night, um, doing a little bit of a, a practice run, making sure the camera worked, the mic worked, and and I already had such a strong sense last night that um, that this was going to be a really special morning, and I'm I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that all the guys would agree with me that that we are we are leaving this call more blessed. <laughs> than we were when we hopped on. And uh, I just wanna thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, I thank you for sharing the, the, the good, the bad, the ups, the downs, and, and for embracing um, vulnerability. Um, and uh, I am very encouraged um, and um, I feel very blessed. Um, uh, we, we, uh, we have a gift for you. There's a, there's a gentleman by the name of Tom Lopez um, he's one of our core Ironman guys, and uh, I'm actually I have a picture of it for you. I'll, 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 it's on its way to you in the mail, um, but it's a. Um, this is the outside of it. Um, here, let me let me uh, throw a little spotlight on it for everyone. Um, it's a uh, it's a pen, an Ironman pen, and uh, it's made out of Bethlehem olive wood. Um, and and uh, Tom uh, handmade this for you, Jeff, and um, just as a, as a gift for you, our way of, of saying thank you uh, for the time that you took this morning. Um, and uh, even just the time in preparation and in prayer that, that you put uh, in into uh, pouring into the Iron men group this morning. So uh, Jeff, uh, thank you again. Um, guys, let me, let me close in prayer. And um and uh, I, I want to encourage you guys to, to join us next week for, for our Connect meeting. Um, next week, uh, again, I'm going to be here in the studio with uh, Jack Levine. And um, I believe it's going to be a special time. And next week, um, next week is our Ironman Connect meeting. So for those of you that it's your first time, a little bit of a different format. Um, Jack is going to teach for uh, just about 10 minutes and the rest of our time we're going to spend in, in virtual breakout groups, um, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited. So if you've never joined us for an Ironman Connect meeting, I encourage you, uh, join us next week. Uh, Men, will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this morning. Uh, God, I, I thank you for Jeff. I thank you for his life, his his story. I thank you for the testimony of Jesus in his life. God, I I, I pray that um, I pray that you would seal in our hearts and in our life uh, just the impact that was made uh, this morning, uh, just getting to hear just the, the the miracle the saving work of jesus and jeff 's life and jeff 's story is is my story jeff 's story is all of our stories, God, and I just thank you that you 're a miracle working God. I thank you for sending your son Jesus uh, to take our place on the cross God and and offering us eternal life, everlasting life, God. I thank you for the quality of life that you've called us to, God. Um, Bless Jeff. Bless his family. Bless his business, God, um, for for pouring into us, God. I pray that you would pour into him uh, twice as much, even today, throughout this weekend. God, we love you, and we thank you, and it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, guys, thank you for uh, joining us this morning. And I look forward to being with all of you uh, again here uh, virtually next week. You guys have a great weekend.